Well, we turn to the Word of God now for our scripture reading. We're turning to the letter of James. James chapter 3, we're beginning to read at verse 1. This section, James is dealing with the use and the misuse of the tongue. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that he who teaches will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our God, our Lord and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's fairly easy for Christians to see the sins and the failings of those outside the church. In a sense, we expect sinful behavior from those who make no credible claim to Christian faith. We don't expect anything else from them. Now, sometimes we are, in a sense, disappointed in our expectations because sometimes those who have no Christian faith actually behave in moral ways. They may be kind people. They are not necessarily what we might expect. But often we do find what we expect uh, in those who don't know uh, the Lord. And we don't have to look far in our culture to see that. Those who have no regard for God, for the things uh, of God's word, uh, and we see the kind of lives uh, that many of them are living. So we do often find what we expect in the world outside the church. But the temptation then is, of course, to complacency, uh, to think we're all right. All the problems, all the sins are out in the world, but we're all right. Uh, we come to focus on the sins of the world, but neglect our own hearts and our own lives. And yet it's significant that the scriptures uh, have so much to say about the sins of God's people. Oh yes, certainly Scripture will expose the sins of unbelievers, but it has a great deal to say about the sins of those who profess to be God's people. There's no escaping uh, the searchlight 
of the word of God. And James, in chapter 3 of his letter, as we've been working our way through the letter, uh, James provides some searching tests for professing Christians about how we use the gift of speech that God has given us. Because it is a tremendous blessing, what a privilege, uh, to be able to communicate uh, using language, using speech. But because it is a great privilege, then uh, we must be particularly careful how we use it. We're looking at verses 9 to 12, a grave inconsistency. That's what James uh, deals with here in uh, these verses 9 to 12, a grave inconsistency. Heart-searching words uh, that he has for us. And he begins with the inconsistency demonstrated. The inconsistency demonstrated. He's spoken of the general uh, destructive power of the tongue. Back in verse 6, for example, it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of life on fire. Strong words as we saw uh, last time. Now James moves on uh, in these verses to answer anybody who would say, well, yes, that's, that's all right for unbelievers. That applies to unsaved people. But uh, it's not like that for Christians. Those kinds of warnings about the power of the tongue aren't relevant to Christians. Uh, and James brings the issue right home uh, very directly. He says in verse 9, with the tongue we praise our God and Father and with it we curse men. Uh, Do you notice also he says, with the tongue we praise men. He could easily have said, with the tongue you praise men. But he includes himself And that's profoundly significant. He includes himself in what he has to say. Uh, For the preacher, of course, there's a time to say you. But there's also a time to say we. He includes himself in uh, the failings he's going to expose. And he recognizes his own imperfections and his own weaknesses. We praise. We praise curse. And in that verse, James points out very simply and very clearly that the fundamental inconsistency that there can be in the Christian's use of the tongue. Two conflicting things that can be done with the tongue. Two contradictory things. James is saying that in the Christian's use of speech, there can be a fundamental inconsistency. On the one hand, as he says, we praise our Lord and Father. And of course, worship of God is the basic duty and privilege of all of the Lord's people. So many uh, 
verses in Scripture that we could uh, quote to underline that. We, we know them, we're familiar, and yet it's good to be reminded of that, that we are uh, to be people praising our Lord and Father. Psalm 34 and verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And those are words to sing, and that's one of the ways, of course, of praising God, using the words of the Psalms that the Holy Spirit has given us. That's a constant theme all the way through Scripture. Uh, Praise should delight the believer's heart. We can sing psalms of praise, and yet we can sing them sometimes in a very dead, listless way. But it should delight us to be praising God. Psalm 147 and verse 1. How good it is to sing praises to the Lord. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. We're just singing that uh, a few minutes ago. Christians should be basically praising people. Oh, there are trials, there are tests, there are sorrows, and we're not in any way minimizing those. But we have so many reasons for which to praise the Lord. Well and good, we praise our Lord and Father. But then James goes on uh, to expose the inconsistency with it, with the tongue. We curse men. As well as praising uh, the Lord, we can use our tongues to cut down and harm people uh, around us. Believers are are unbelievers. James is saying there's a deep-seated contradiction in our claims to be praising God uh, if we are using the tongue to damage, to harm, to destroy That's not what Christians ought to be doing with the gift of speech. It is something given to build up, to nurture, to encourage, to bring blessing, maybe to bring rebuke, but to use in positive ways. And as Christians, we have the duty to be ministering to fellow believers. Command of Uh, the Savior in John 15 and verse 12, as I have loved you, so love one another. Even to love enemies, as Jesus commands in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44. So there are commands that we ought to love, brothers and sisters in Christ, but James goes on to, to make an even more profound point here. Uh, He could certainly point to other uh, scriptures that tell us we are to love the Lord's people, but something more with regard to those that we curse with our tongues. Those, he says, who have been made in God's likeness. That's a very striking expression uh, that he uses. Uh, And we're back, of course, in Genesis 1 where men and women are made in the image and likeness of God. That's the the special nature that we have. 
And you see, that's true even after the fall. Even sinners still bear something of the likeness, the image of God. Yes, it is twisted, it is marred in many respects, but it is still there. It has not been erased. It is not completely destroyed. So what is the point that James is making here? Why does he mention the image of God? Surely the point is this. That if we use the tongues to curse others, we are cursing God's image bearers. Whether Christian or not, we are cursing those who bear the image of God. That's what James is telling us. And so in a real sense, indirectly, but in a real sense, we are cursing the God who made them and whose image they bear. So James is showing us a whole new dimension that relates to how we speak and when we curse others. And he's seeking to show us the real nature of the sin that's involved in this inconsistency. We're cursing those who are bearers of the image and the likeness of God. And so, really, through them, we are using our tongues against God because they're carrying his image. And when we curse those who bear the image of God, it's ultimately God against whom we are speaking. We may never have really realized that, but that is what James is telling us. And so for those who love the Lord, for those who know him, this is, of course, for Christians, something that we should not be doing. So we praise God. As it were, out of one side of our mouth, we're not to be cursing God through his image bearers out of the other side of our mouth. Out of the same mouth, James says, verse 10, in case you're under any illusions, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And what he's been showing us is that they're both ultimately directed at God. When you praise, it's directly to God. When you curse others, it's indirectly through those who bear his image. But that shows us something of the seriousness of the inconsistency when we behave in this way and use our tongues in this way. It exposes surely some of our worship as a, as a sham uh, that's praising God and ultimately cursing God at the same time. We can't do that. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It's foolish to believe that we can use our tongues in two inconsistent ways uh, and God will still hear the praises and uh, receive them and bless us. The, the inconsistency demonstrated. We're praising God directly, but when we're using our tongues to tear down uh, and to damage, uh, we're really cursing God through those who bear his image. And we need to understand that and realize how serious an issue it is and how great this inconsistency is for Christians. Inconsistency 
demonstrated. Then James goes on as he develops his theme to think of the inconsistency analyzed. The inconsistency analyzed. Verse 10, he says, My brothers, this should not be. And again, he gives us several illustrations to explain why it should not be. And James, of course, as you see, often in his letter uses very down-to-earth illustrations that we can immediately understand and bring the lesson home to us. This, this, he says, shouldn't be. Why not? Well, he mentions a spring, first of all, in verse 11. A spring, he says, cannot produce salt water and fresh water. I mean, you go to a spring, you go to a well, let's say, and you get the water. It's either salt or it's fresh water, but it's not both. It's not both. If there's salt in it, it's salt water. So it can't produce both. A spring bubbling out of the ground that produced salt water and fresh water is just a total inconsistency. It cannot be. He goes on, verse 12, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? And of course, the the answer to the questions are obvious. Uh, They're not something you need to think about, are they? Of course not. You know that the answer is no. No, a fig tree cannot bear olives. No, a grapevine cannot bear figs. It's ludicrous. Why is it ludicrous? Because for either of those situations uh, to, to obtain, for a fig tree to bear olives, a grapevine to bear figs, it would be a denial of their basic nature. A fig tree that bears olives actually is an olive tree. A grapevine that bears figs is a fig tree. That's a denial of their nature if they produce something else. If it's a fig tree, it will produce figs. If it's a grapevine, it will produce grapes. It can't be otherwise. And what James is saying really is this inconsistency in our speech that he's set out before us, using our tongues to bless and to curse, is really against nature. There's something profoundly unnatural about it. So a a Christian who would use the tongue to, to bless God and to curse others is really denying the nature that he says he's got as a Christian. He's denying his new nature as a child of God. And if we are children of God, we will and we are to behave as children of God. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17, heart of salvation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So a change has taken place, a fundamental change. When you are converted, when you become a Christian, you're changed. You're not and you never will be again the same person. You have a new nature. That's why Jesus, uh, when he's talking to Nicodemus uh, in John chapter 3, talks about being born again or born from above. You're transformed. You're a new person. You have a new nature. Now, 
It's not a perfect nature. It will never be until you're in heaven. But it is a new nature. What were we before we were converted? What were we? Ephesians 2.1 Dead in transgressions and sins. That is stark language you couldn't misunderstand. We were dead spiritually. Now Paul says again in Ephesians 2 We've been made alive with Christ. It's as radical as that. Once we were dead, now we're alive. Once we were sinners, now we're children of God. We've got a new nature. Or elsewhere, Paul describes it as having a new Lord and belonging to a new kingdom. Colossians 1.13 God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Now, if you profess to be a Christian, you're saying, that's what's happened to me. I have been born again. I've been made a new creature in Christ. I have been brought into the kingdom of God's Son. And so for the Christian to bless and to curse in the way that James has described is to behave in a way that's inconsistent with your new nature. There is something profoundly unnatural, something wrong in doing that. Now we still do it because we are not yet perfect. And there's sin that still remains in us. And the Bible leaves us in no doubt that that's the case. New creatures in Christ still have sin remaining in them. Those who are born again will still fall to temptation. But we've got a new nature that has been turned towards God, that desires holy living. That's the nature we have. And so James is saying that all of life, including our speech, our words, are to be consistent with our new status as children of God. And that really is the test that's being applied here. How do you know what kind of tree you're looking at? Well, if you have the botanical knowledge that I've got, you haven't a clue just looking at it. But you look at the fruit, look at what it produces And if it's producing grapes, you don't say to yourself, oh, well, it must be a fig tree. If it's producing figs, you don't say to yourself, it must be a vine. We know from the fruit it produces what the nature of the tree is. And James is saying, when you produce fruit that isn't consistent with your new status, your new position as a child of God, there is something unnatural about that. And really, ultimately, it's impossible that that should carry on. There's an inconsistency that needs to be dealt with. And those surely are sobering and searching words that James has for us. To look at how we use the gift of speech God has given us. Is it in ways that are consistent 
with our new nature as God's children? Are the words words uh, that should be spoken by one born again? As we're praising God, could it be we also use our tongues to hurt, to harm, to destroy, to tear down those who bear the image of the God we're singing praises to? We need to ask the Lord to examine our hearts, examine our conduct. Is that inconsistency present in us? And surely if we're honest, we have to say sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. James has already uh, said, uh, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, back in verse 2, he's a perfect man. And you surely do not claim to be perfect. And one of the areas in which imperfection will show up, one of the symptoms of imperfection will be in speech, in the inconsistency that James is dealing with. So the inconsistency demonstrated, the inconsistency analyzed. But let's not leave it there. Let's look finally at the inconsistency resolved. The inconsistency resolved. If what James is saying hits home and we realize our failures in this area, what do we need to do about it? We'll all surely recognize elements of this inconsistency in ourselves. The praising God, but also the, the angry comments, the sarcastic jokes, the, the cutting down of someone, the belittling. It can be done very subtly, indirectly. But if we realize the inconsistency in ourselves, what as Christians are we to do? And surely in the biblical context, the wider biblical context, there are several fundamental steps that we can take and we need to take to resolve the inconsistency. What do we do? And surely the first one has to be repentance. Repentance. We need to recognize our sin for what it is. And to see it in the way that James has described it as using the tongue to cut down and damage those who bear the image of God, the God that we praise, and to see the sin for what it is, that we are, in the end, dishonoring God. See, it's not simply that we harm people or we damage them, but we're dishonoring God when we use our tongues in that way. And so we need to see that that is the case that we are cursing God when we are cursing those who bear his image. So repentance has to be the first step. And that can be the hardest, of course, because repentance means you admit you're wrong. Repentance means that you know you're dishonoring God, and so we have to start there, repentance. Along with that, then, as we seek to resolve the inconsistency, there needs to be a realization of who we are in Christ. 
to, to grasp afresh the new nature that the Lord has given us. Who are we? Well, if we are truly Christians, we're born again. If we're truly Christians, we've been given a new nature. We are the new creation of 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are the children of God, as John describes it in 1 John 3.1. What manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Despite our failings, despite our sins, we are children of God. Think about that. Remember that. We're children of God by his grace. Think of what God has done for us to make us his children. You were bought at a price, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6 rather. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. And that includes the tongue. We, we could paraphrase Paul slightly there, 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your tongue. Sins of speech, like all our sins, are unworthy of people who were bought at a price. Inconsistent. So there must be repentance. That's step one. That is essential. There must be realization afresh of who we are. To say to ourselves, I'm a child of God by grace. And I've got to live consistently with that. Repentance, realization, and yes, there is a third R. Request. Request. These are the three R's, so to speak, for dealing with our failures in any respect, but our speech in particular. Repentance, realization, request. Request for what? Request for God's grace to enable us to use our tongues aright. To use our tongues consistently in ways that will honor him. And will glorify him. And isn't that what we long for as Christians? We have such a powerful gift in speech and the use of words. What a privilege. If you're a Christian, do you not long to use that gift to glorify God and to build people up? Uh, and that grace of God, surely first of all, uh, will give us a single-minded devotion to God. The thought of inconsistency, of, of sort of division in our hearts, praising and cursing. What we want is single-mindedness. And that's what the psalmist prays for in Psalm 86 and verse 11. We'll be singing it in a moment or two. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. The psalmist is asking that he will be single-minded in the fear of God and devotion to the Lord, not divided, 
not contradictory, not with with inner conflict, single-minded, an undivided heart. And if God more and more gives us an undivided heart, that will lead to true praise for God that isn't contradicted by anything else in us. True praise for God and the grace that will overflow then in words that will honor the Lord, uh, that will bring God's love and God's truth to people, to build up fellow Christians, to encourage them in godliness, that will result in words to those who aren't saved yet, that will tell them about the Lord Jesus, that will tell them that they need a Savior and will point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful privilege we have to use the gift of speech to tell people about our Savior. Isn't that what we long to do? Isn't that what we want to do? To bring words about Christ, to encourage Christians, and to point those who aren't yet saved to the Savior. That's the kind of consistency that we want, isn't it? That's the kind of consistency that so often we we contradict by our actual conduct. We're asking, we're requesting God's grace to use our tongues in the way that we should, to praise God and thank him for what he's done for us, and to bring words of love and of truth to those who bear his image. We're to use the gift of speech as we're to use all of God's gifts for his glory. And by his grace, we can do that. This isn't some impossible ideal that we say, ah, it could never happen. By God's grace, it can. Think of the times when you've done that. And when you've been able to speak words that encouraged someone, that helped somebody, that comforted somebody. Words that told a person of their need of Jesus and told them about how he is able to save. And we want more of that. We want that to be the everyday, ordinary pattern that we speak in ways consistent with our new nature in Christ. The inconsistency can be resolved. Resolved by repentance. Resolved by a realization who we are. We should not be behaving inconsistently. And request for God's grace. Lord, help me. Don't we often need to be praying that prayer? Lord, help me. And in particular, Lord, help me to use the gift of speech. Use the tongue you've given me for your glory. And to build people up in whatever way they need. May God give us grace to be consistent in using such a precious gift.